0: Well, you may not like everything uh, about this morning but you you're going to know you've been to church when you leave. <laughs> you know we're 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 going to talk this morning and respond to the command to be holy. There is nothing that is easy about talking about holiness. There's nothing that's simple about it. As a matter of fact, uh, think about it when you when you went out to play uh, when you were kids your your mom and dad didn 't say Be holy they might have said Be good and not had a lot of confidence that that would happen, but who said Be holy they didn 't say that because it is such an impossible job, but yet it is a commandment of god it 's not something you can creep into it 's like you don't jump a chasm with two middle-sized jumps. You either get over with the first jump or you're down. And holiness is like that, but yet is a command of God. It is unimaginable that God would look at us and say, be holy. I'm going to talk to you next week about our provision, God's provision for that. But this week I want to talk about what it takes to follow a commandment, because that's not something that's natural to the American mentality. First of all, if you have your scriptures with you, and uh, you want to turn to Leviticus chapter 11, you might see the verses that are an example of a, a formulaic repetition in scripture. That is to say, these kinds of verses appear several places, and you can get the feel for them with this. There is a command to stop doing something and to become more like God. So there is this separation. There is this decision-making process. Uh, Let me start with verse uh, 43. Do not render yourselves detestable through any of the swarming things that swarm, and you shall not make yourselves unclean with them, so that you shall become unclean. This was a dietary uh, thing. There are other things that fill in this blank, but this was a dietary commandment. For I, the Lord, your God... For I am the Lord, your God... Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am holy. And you shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm upon the earth. There it is again. Here it comes again. For I am the Lord, who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus shall you be holy, for I am holy. This is a commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's not a hope. It's a commandment given with the expectation of immediate obedience, because that's the way God talks. If you turn to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 26, uh, verse 16, you'll see another commandment with that expectation of immediate obedience. It says this in Deuteronomy 26, 16. This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and ordinances, this day. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart, with all your soul. Now it doesn't say in here, how does that feel to you? What do you think about that? Do you understand that? This says, I said it, you do it. Now let me tell you why that's so alien to our mentality. We belong uh, in a country that has a democratic mentality. Now, this is good in as far as it goes. This is good if it's not pushed too far. It's good because in our understanding, our governmental process was built upon at least one of its components, respect for every individual, and the understanding that every individual is of worth. That exactly mirrors the biblical understanding of the worth of all individuals. Every person was made in the image of God. And so, therefore, every person is worthy of respect. However, watch this. This is very important. You can't take that as a paradigm for leadership when you're talking about huge conquests. And great and challenging battles. Who would go into a war democratically? Who would say to the troops, okay everybody, what do you think we ought to do now? And take a vote. Now that's not the way you win a war, but the fact is we're in a war. Your lives don't happen all neat and clean and pretty. Your lives are not predictable. They are not mundane. In the Second World War, in, in uh, um, uh, Northern Africa, Rommel was having a, a, a field day, literally, battling and routing all of the troops in, in Northern Africa, all of the Allied troops in Northern Africa. It took in miles and miles and miles of territory. And part of the reason was that the Allied troops were in such disarray. There was a mixture of, nation, of, of, of nationalities and different troops there. And so they sent General... Bernard Montgomery, English chap, non-smoker, non-drinker, very disciplined, had one of those little beret dealies. And he came and he saw immediately the problem. And this is what he said. I do not give orders as the basis of discussion. I give orders as the basis of action. Let me ask you, how do you think of your faith? Is it the basis of discussion, or is it the basis of action? A command of God is for action, not discussion. That is very important. And it is very important that we learn to follow the leadership and respond to the leadership where it's going. You know, one of the reasons that we're doing with worship as we are doing is we are training you in worship to follow the leadership. We don't get together anymore and sing 57 verses of Kumbaya. Kumbaya. Life. Your life isn't like Kumbaya. It's, you're not sitting around a campfire with some moors and singing. You're in a war out there. I mean, your lives are coming apart. You're being attacked. We don't go out and say, crown him with many crowns. You can march out of here. You're going to get your lunch eaten if you think that life is that predictable. Now, one of the things we're trying to do in worship is not just make it interesting, not just by changing the beat. We're, we're, we're trying to mirror what life is. You know, sometimes you think you're going along, and then all of a sudden life takes off, and you got to follow, just like a song, crowning And then it takes off, and you got to follow. And sometimes you're doing the singing all together, and sometimes the leadership is doing the singing, and you, you can't do a thing about it. You just got to listen to them. You know, sometimes in your life, God's calling you for participation. And sometimes in your life, He's just calling you to shut up and sit still and watch me. And so you just go, all right, God's doing this thing. I don't have to do a thing. And then what's He, He always comes back and He says, come on now, come with me. And our participation is better because we've seen it's a picture that's more full and more complex than just the simple plodding life. Well, we want to to teach everyone that out there, it is not simple, it is not plotting, it is exciting, it takes off, it falls apart. And you don't always know what to do, but if you keep your eye on the leader, you're going to pick it up sooner or later. And when the leader says go, then you go, and then you're worshiping with something more full. We also want to teach you that just like in this worship, even though you may not be able to follow it immediately... You understand that there's a plan. This is, not, this is not a jam session. We've thought about this ahead of time. And you can say to yourself, you know, I may not, I may not understand this immediately, but, but this is a planned thing. You know what out there? Our God is sovereign. Accidents don't happen. That's a planned thing. And if you understand that, you'll understand, as I, as I tell you again at the end, that even when life seems to be falling apart and you don't understand it all there's still a leader and if you watch him you'll join into a fuller worship later on and and life out there is worship just like life in here so therefore there is a great complexity of life there is a command of God to follow me but there's also you've got to understand this conclusion of God this conclusion of God is that that God If we obey, can lift us up to more freedom and more meaning than we have ever known. Now, watch this. The mentality of the world, and understandably so, is look, if we give ourselves just to obeying God, then our freedom goes down. The more we obey, the less free we are. The more He determines what is meaningful in life, the less we determine what is meaningful in life, and therefore we will have less meaning in our life. I tell you, that's a trick of Satan. There is nothing further from the truth than that. The more we obey God, the more free we are, and the more meaningful life is. You know why? Because God takes life to heights that we could never go ourselves, ever. If you have your scriptures with you and you want to turn to Luke chapter 1, verses 47 through 57, not 74 through 57, like it says on your sheets, but 47 through 57. Let me just read a couple of of verses. This is is out of the mouth of young Mary. Young Virgin Mary, young teenager who just told she was going to have God as a baby. And Mary's response is this. Well, I'm a handmaiden of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. In other words, I'll, I will immediately obey whether I understand or not. And then it begins to dawn on her what God's doing. And look at verse 48. He has had regard for the humble estate of his, oops, of his bond slave. And behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. She can't even fathom this. Look at the next verse. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. You know, we have this also intellectual mentality now in a very democratic sense in the society. Those of you who are in the academic circles and, and, and intellectual circus, cir- circles, circus, yeah, that's a good, that's a very good word know the summation uh, uh, in, in, uh, in a word for the description of what is happening now uh, as post-modernity, intellectually. What that means, I, I love to listen to tapes, and I was listening to a good one this week. It, they're usually diff- from different university professors around the, uh, the country, and I've got a series of tapes called The Great Intellectual, uh, Western Intellectual Tradition. And I was listening to Michael uh, Segrew this week uh, from Princeton University. He's a professor of homiletics there. And he was reciting the dismantling of the unified thinking of the West. That is, from Nietzsche, uh, who ostensibly split uh, man from God, and then Freud, that split man from himself, and then Foucault and Leotard and some of the other French uh, philosophers, Sartre, who, uh, who basically said, you know, it's nobody can believe really anything anymore. It's all our opinion. What happened was that a hundred years ago we began to see the disintegration of any hope that uh, in, in in secular mentality that there was a universal, a valid universal ideal, and so. Uh, what Sagru says is that there, there began to be this this line of what he called masters of distrust. You couldn't trust anybody. You certainly couldn't trust anybody who was speaking for God. You, you certainly couldn't trust anybody who said there is a universal principle that is, that is valid for everybody. And all you could do was just kind of speak your own opinion. And so we live today in a very democratic intellectual tradition, very few brave enough to say, yeah, there are universal truths. As a matter of fact, most people you go to today and you start talking about the faith, they will tell you what their opinion is. And they will say, you're welcome to your opinion, I'm welcome to my opinion, but who's to know? And that is the heritage of the breakdown of the of the intellectual tradition. It's interesting that the same day I was listening to that tape, my wife and I went to see uh, the uh, Man of La Mancha, uh, with Robert Goulet, the, the uh, um, wonderful play based upon uh, Cervantes' book, Don Quixote. And and for those of you who don't know that classic, it was written in the late 1500s. It was written by uh, Miguel de Cervantes to, to just turn some money as a little fantasy book. It was It was supposed to be a parody on people who... are tied to reality by a kite string because they imagine things and and uh, and people who are so so practical that they can't see any greater dreams and what happened was that book just took off from its inception and became a bestseller, and 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 has been a classic since and you know the story you know Don Quixote how he how he imagines the best in everything he goes into a castle uh, I'm sorry, he goes into an inn, and he thinks it's a castle, and he thinks the innkeeper is a king, and he wants the innkeeper to knight him. He, he, uh, he sees a, wash, uh, a, a shaving basin and, uh, uh, and, and thinks it's a magic helmet, and he puts it on his head and becomes a warrior uh, to fight against injustice. And, and he sees uh, a whore, a prostitute, and, and he, he thinks that she is a lady, and he calls her, he renames her Dulcinea the pure and chaste, one who is worthy of respect and homage, one who is worthy of protection. And for the first time in this woman's life, there's a man who looks upon her and wants nothing from her but to honor her. And, she, and he asks from her something to carry into battle, some, some token, and she still is so caught up with her own opinion and other people's opinion about her that she sarcastically throws him a cleaning rag. And he he prizes it, and he carries it into battle to do the world good. Well, it is a wonderful play, and it has warmed the hearts of people for years. Now let me ask you, in the contrast between these people that would say, you know, we really can't know anything for sure, it's all just human opinion, it's all just individual opinion. And and this person who say I my imagination just sees good, just sees wonderful things in 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 people that and things that are unworthy of those wonderful things. Where do you think Christianity would be on this scale? Let me show you where it would be on this scale. It'd be out here. The the reason that that Don Quixote is such a beloved tale is because Christ did in reality what Don Quixote could only do in imagination. I'm going to cry here because I never cease to be amazed. Do you understand the themes that when Don Quixote goes into an inn and thinks it's a castle, full of royalty that at one time there was an inn and the worst part of that inn was the place that God chose to be born and so it became a house of royalty you understand when Don Quixote puts upon his head this bowl (laughs) and imagines it to be the vehicle of honor and service to mankind that a long time ago, Jesus took a basin, and he used it to wash people's feet. And therein, what was common became a wonderful symbol of what was pure and honorable forever. Yesterday, I, I went out, and I, and I saw the men of the church, one, one woman too, but the men of the church servicing the cars changing the oil and the fluids and, 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 and servicing the cars of the widows in this church and the single moms in this church, the single ladies, all lined up there. And I watched the oil pouring in to the basins. And I thought to myself, is that any less sacred than the basin that Christ used? Does that show any less honor or is that any less valuable to God? And the answer is no. What is in a simple oil basin is highly prized of God, has eternal significance. Do you understand that the rag that Dulcinea threw him and that he prized so much could also be seen many times in Scripture? The rag that that the Samaritan used to bind up the wounds Of the poor traveler that had been beaten. Do you understand also that every time you take a rag in your house and you put it on your child's forehead because he's got a fever and you're trying to cool him down, every time you take a paper towel and you you wipe up the fourth peanut butter stain of the hour, that's a holy thing to God. That's not just a little individual act of meaninglessness. That's a holy thing because God declares it to be holy. And when Don Quixote looks at the whore and calls her a lady, don't you know it's exactly the same thing that Jesus did to Mary Magdalene? There had never been a man that had looked at her and not wanted to get from her, except for Jesus. He looked at her and he saw purity. That's why he said, go and sin no more, because that's what he saw in her. You understand that when he looks at you, he sees the same thing? Through the cross of Christ, that's who God counts us to be. Can you believe that? I don't understand it. He looks at us. He says, you're a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a holy nation. We know what we do during the week. We know what we think. How could he say that? He looks at me. I'm a little short guy from Shelby, Ohio, for crying out loud. The biggest thing in our whole town was a grain elevator where farmers brought their corn. And every week, I get to preach from the Word of God to thousands of people. What's he thinking? What's he thinking when he looks at you? He's looking through Christ. And here's the good part. It's not imagination. It's reality. Because when God says something, when God declares something, it is is. It comes to be. Remember how he made the world? And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And he's looking at your lives right now, and he's saying, let there be holiness. And there's holiness. Right now, it's imputed to you through Jesus Christ. But slowly, he's imparting it to you what should be our reaction to that our reaction should not be one of much analysis at all but pure obedience thank you God for doing that in me that's what I'm gonna count on that's what I'm gonna react to there's a very simple choice it's not that life is simple life is very complex And as Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes once said, I wouldn't give you a fig for simplicity on this side of complexity, but I'd give you everything for simplicity on the other side of complexity. And when you get through the complexity of your life, or in the middle of it, to be able to choose what is very simple, I'm either going to follow what I believe about myself and what the world believes about me, or I'm going to follow what God says about me. It's a very simple choice. We get letters from time to time from people who get the cassettes, they, they just circulate, these cassettes circulate all over the world. And periodically, we'll get somebody from another country who's heard a cassette, and they just want to write and tell us about, it. they heard the cassette. This week, we got a letter from a girl in Angola. Uh, Angola is just above Namibia in Africa. And, uh, and, and she, she's just kind of getting her English down. It's the cutest, the cutest English. Listen to this. It says, Dear Sirs, it's with great pleasure to address this letter to you, and I'm sure that it'll give you a special attention. I found your address in and your cassette that my friend lent me. I listened to your advices, and I enjoyed it very much because I like salvation's advices. Now I'm very interested to make correspondence with you in order to regularly provide me about religious literature. I'd like spending all my free time hearing for you Because I want to save my life. There's not another way for salvation, only the God's way. And I like to know how to study the God's Word. And I want some good explanation about it, and I'd ask you to help me about cassettes. You can send me more cassettes with your explanation, for I'm, I love this, for I'm always killing my time hearing for you. (laughs) Great. That's why you must send me my own cassettes. (laughs) I'm keep waiting your answer. I've taken all my free time reading the God's word, for I've no time for such world's ways. I'm sure that such as follow the God's commandment won't perish but have everlasting life. I look forward to hearing to you soon. (laughs) You know, great. It's so simple. It's so simple to choose God, and to watch Him eliminate those things in your life that stand in His way. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, this is a commandment. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's what we can do. You have been defiled in your flesh and in your spirit because all your life you've been told who you are and what you are by people other than God. And so you've taken on all of these opinions. You've been hurt. And sometimes you expected too much of yourself. Back in, I saw a movie this week called Shine. And it was about a prodigy that was burdened at the same time both with wonderful talent and with a crushing psychological background. He had been hurt so much in his raising. And you know what I thought about? You. You. So much talent. There's so much hurt. There's so many things that could get in the way of going straight to God. So many excuses... Not to be holy. Because either you believe that, you know, if I can just get this talent thing down, then I can, then I can achieve a lot and I'll be happy. Or many of you who say, I can never, ever be happy because I've been hurt so badly. You know what God would say to you? Be holy and you'll be happy. Listen to me and you'll find what you can never find on your own. Let me tell you one more story, and then I'll quit. I was down at the pool this week because it's such a nice week, and I was reading down there. And I, I, most of you know I live in an apartment. My family and I live in an apartment. My kids call it the Projects. We live in the Projects, and uh, but it's got a pool. And so I was down there, and and uh, there was a dad teaching his little girl to swim. It was the sweetest thing. Here's this dad, this little girl, this little, I mean, just no better than a minute, and she is terrified. I mean terrified. And he's got his arms under her little armpits. You know, she's up to water like this. And he's looking at her. And he said, now, honey, I know you're afraid. But I'm not going to drop you. I am not going to drop you. And I want you to look at me. And I want you to do what I say. And right away when he said that, she kept looking at the water. She's terrified of the water. And he said, honey, I know you're afraid of the water, but listen to me. The water is not your enemy. As a matter of fact, if you do what I say, the water is what will hold you up. You know what? There's so many of you so neck deep in, in threatening circumstances right now, and you're just afraid, and I understand. I understand. But I want you to picture this. I want you to picture your Heavenly Father with His hands under your armpits and Him looking at you and saying, Honey, I'm not going to drop you. I am not going to drop you. I want you to look at me. And I want you to do what I say. I know right now you think those circumstances can overwhelm you, they can drown you. But I want to tell you, those circumstances are not your enemy. And if you do what I say, those circumstances are what's going to hold you up. Pray with me. God, thank you that we can believe you more than we can believe what others say about us or those circumstances that threaten to undo us and overwhelm us. God, help us to just be obedient, not to become people who have a condition of paralysis by analysis where we just want to, we just want to discuss everything and, and never take action. To hide from your orders by our own intellect. Help us know that our obedience is the very thing that can give us what our intellect and what our own independence could never have done. Lord, help us to respond to exactly your order. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you to stand, and we're going to respond to that challenge. We're going to do a Northland-style invitation. We do this periodically. And then I'm just going to pose three questions. And if the response fits you, I'm going to ask you to have the courage to sit down. Now, if you're, if you're sitting already and you want to be prayed for, just raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to, to sit down. And then we're going to have folks around you just lay their hand on your shoulder. And we're going to pray for you. Because this is not something you're in alone. All of us are in this together. Let me ask you very boldly today. If you would commit today to stop analyzing everything God says. And everything God does. And when you know what you're supposed to do, if you just go do it. Instead of trying to figure out how, or how am I going to do this, how will it be best, what are the outcome, and all that kind of stuff, Because God's orders are not a matter of discussion, nor are they a matter of analysis. They're just orders. And I know that many have a habit of trying to think things through. So far, they never take place. So if you today would say, "You know what, God, when I know what you want me to do, I'm going to do it immediately. I'm not, even going to, I'm not going to think about it, I'm just going to go do it. If you would make that commitment today, would you sit down and let us pray for you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's great. Thank you. All right, those around them, would you put your hands on them and we're just going to pray for them. And if nobody's reaching you, there's big sections of, of this thing sitting down. Nobody's reaching you, put your hands on each other. Listen to this. God, thank you for people who are ready for immediate obedience, who will not try to improve on your orders or even make sense of them before they are sure to be obedient and follow them after they know they're from you. We ask you, Lord God, to make this commitment a long-standing one and a fruitful one in their life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, everybody stand up. Here's the second one. Some of you are carrying around things that get in the way of your holiness excuses that you say, you know what, I got got to do, I got to take care of this and then I'm going to get with God. Uh, I've I've got to, uh, I've got this hurt and, and I've got to face this thing before I can do anything with God. And this morning, you may have realized that you got the priority all mixed up here. First you get with God. And then that thing that has been your weakness lessens its hold on you and its strength in your life. If you this morning would say, I'm not going to use any of my excuses anymore. I'm going to focus on God and let the excuses try to hang on to me. Would you sit down and let us pray for you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, everybody who is around those folks, put your hands on. Let's do this again. God, thanks for a courage, tremendous courage in saying, I have been avoiding, not intentionally, but thinking that I needed to take care of something before I listened to you or followed you completely. God, give them whatever they need to follow you completely and totally so that they believe you more than they believe what has been put into their heads by other people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, everybody stand up one more time. Some of you have believed in Christ for as long as you can remember. And some of you are wondering right now if this is the day when you need to place your trust in Christ. But I'd like to challenge all of you. How many of you, or are there those of you who need to say today, I'm going to trust in Christ only? Because here's what we do. Yeah, we believe in Christ, but we also need to act good so that we'll get to heaven. We also need to believe the right doctrine so that we'll get to heaven. Or, yeah, I believe in Christ to save me from my sins, but in order to have a fulfilled life, I've got to go do this over here. And so you have not trusted in Christ alone for your salvation or for your fulfillment. I'd like to challenge you today to trust in Christ alone, period. And to say, Jesus, it all rides on you. It all rides on you. I'm trusting only you for my salvation and only you for for my fulfillment in life. If you would make that claim, would you sit down right now and let us pray on your behalf? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Pray with me. Lord, this day, Salvation has come to your house. The salvation that comes not out of human effort or human understanding, but only by a movement of your Holy Spirit that places all of their faith in you, that adds nothing to what you've done on the cross in order to get into heaven, and adds nothing to what you are in their life in order to be happy. Thank you for that simplicity. Bless them, Lord Jesus, and let them not get out of the things that have been meaningful, but to now bring to the things that have been meaningful, not need, but surplus. We pray in your name. Amen.